Well, welcome. So glad uh, you're here this morning. So glad you're in the house today. It's, it's, uh, man, it's a great day just to worship together this morning. It's uh, an incredible experience. I wish you could be up here and hear what I hear as all of you just cry out your hearts in the, these songs of worship to God. It's a beautiful, beautiful anthem, I believe, rising up uh, in this room today. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Corey Trevathan. I'm one of the ministers here. And today, I, I want you to know we're going to continue on with a series called Carry Your Name. And if you've been tracking with us, you'll know where we're going. If not, I can catch you up really fast. Uh, for the past three or four weeks, we've been talking about this one really simple idea. How do we carry the name that we carry? And how do we carry it well? We've talked about where we carry the name we've carried. We've talked about the actual name that we carry, that God has a name. And, and we've talked about lots of things along this journey. But today, we're going we're gonna to take a little different slant at this thing. And I want you to track with me. But before we do, I need to ask you a question. I think, it's, I think it's, one, it's something we all have in common. Just raise your hands. We'll do a little confessional. The invitation will be on the front end this morning. Raise your hand if you've ever, um, if you've ever uh, messed up and been busted. All right? So show of hands. Yep. Yeah. You with me with this? You're, you know what this feels like, right? This is like the worst feeling in the world. Like when you've done something and maybe you thought you got away with it, and then you realize you didn't. Right, your heart sinks. It starts pounding, and it's like, uh. I remember. Um, I was thinking about it this week, fourth grade. How many of you hated fourth grade? All right, hands again. Yeah, all of them go up. It's fine. Fourth grade for me was terrible. You know, uh, our teacher—I won't say her name. She won't listen to this, but just in case, um, man, she gave homework like crazy. And if you're a teacher and you give homework, God bless you. But man, in fourth grade, it was my worst nightmare because the rule of my house was when you came home, you could play and, and have fun, but you had to do what first? Your homework. Yeah, once you got that done, the rest of the day is yours. And she would give so much homework, no lie. I would sit down at the coffee table at our house after school in fourth grade, and I would work on it until it was bedtime. Like I would have no time to do anything I wanted to do. And it was so, inf- my parents were even kind of upset because it was like, this is like crazy. And it was those word problems. How many of you love word problems? Yeah, I don't like you, so don't raise your hand. <laughs> you know, if a train leaves Chicago at 4 a.m. and another train leaves New York at 3 o'clock, I don't know, you know what the capital of New York is. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, they never made sense to me. I couldn't figure them out, and it took forever to do this kind of stuff in my head. And uh, it was just terrible. And so one day, I'm sitting in the middle of her class. I won't say her name. And, uh, and, and it's, it's one of those days, and just, just, just like, you know, my little 10-year-old heart, like anger is rising up within me. And, and I don't know any bad words. Like, I lived a sheltered life. And, uh, and so I get out a piece of paper because she's listing the homework on the board. And I'm just thinking, dear, that, that, just, there's no way. And I start writing this note, you know, of, and I'm saying, and it's just, it's like, it's, you know, people have taught me, like, when you get angry, one of the ways to handle your anger is to write a note. No one has to read it. You know, it's between you and yourself, and it just helps you get out your emotions. So I'm, I'm doing this very, what I think is a practical thing, you know, to deal with my anger in a Christian way in fourth grade, and I'm writing out the most angry letter in the world to her. But I never intend for her to read it, and I'm, I'm, I'm making up words, because I don't even know bad words. I'm making up words. I get done with it. I fold it up. I put it on my desk, and I just leave it there. And, and then this kid walks by. And this kid was like my nemesis, right? I mean, God love him. He comes by and, and he doesn't know what it is, but he just knocks it off my desk. I'm like, don't, don't do that, man. I pick it up, put it on my desk, and he comes back around again, knocks it off again. Well, now the teacher thinks I'm passing notes in class. 
for the teenagers in the old days before phones, you had to actually write notes and then pass them to people. Um, it's a little different now. And so, uh, and so she, she comes over to my desk and she takes it up. And now, like, I am dying a thousand deaths right here before this woman because I know what the note says. And I'm like, this is the end of my life. It's been nice. <laughs> it's been a great ride. I'm going to meet my maker. And sure enough, she, uh, she opens a note and she's just devastated. And, and you know, and then my parents are get called and they're at the school and it's just a nightmare. There's nothing worse than that feeling when you get caught. It's that feeling, have you felt this? When you look in your rearview mirror and you see the red and blue lights, right? Don't raise your hand, but you know who you are. <laughs> your heart starts pounding. You're like, man, there's nothing worse than getting caught. What, what do you do? What do you do when you get caught? Like, what do you, what's your, what's your response? I think there's probably two or three like pretty common natural responses, right? Number one is we lie, all right? Ever told a lie when you got caught? Yeah, yep, that's, 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 that's kind of that response to fight back. I'm gonna shift the focus. I wanna retell the story. I wanna take myself out of the focus of the story. I wanna, I wanna work this to where I don't get in trouble. So I'm gonna start making up all these reasons why this didn't happen the way you think it happened and that it wasn't my fault. We, we, we love to lie. It's just our first natural instinctive response sometimes, or sometimes we don't, we don't lie uh, sometimes instead of lying, we just have to, um, we have to hide, right? It's like, okay, uh, I know what I did and I know that everybody else knows what I did. And so um, I'm, I'm not going to go back to those places and spaces where those people are. I'm going to hide. <laughs> like I'm not going to, if it happened at home, I'm going to work longer days. If it happened at work, I'm going to work from home. If it happened at school, I'm going to check out early. I'm going to find every possible way I can to hide from those people who found out what happened. So I have to deal with those people or confront those people. Or sometimes... In, in those really big mess up moments, we're just paralyzed, right? This is what happens. It's like we're literally like our deepest, darkest secret has made the news and everybody knows. And we are just overcome with fear, completely paralyzed, terrorized by what's happened that everybody knows and we're frozen. Like we don't know how to respond because everybody knows. I, I think... All of us, in fact, I think everybody in the room this morning wrestles with this question. In fact, I think everybody in the world, past, present, and future, wrestles with this question. There's a question that I believe all of us spend the majority of our lives on some level trying to figure out the answer to. It's the question that, 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 that sometimes will wake you up at night. It's the question that you wrestle with in the hardest moments of your life. It's the question that... Um, that if you don't have a good answer to this question, it, it, it affects your life, your humanity, possibly your eternity, if you can't come to grips with the answer to this one question. And the question is simply this for you and for me. What do you do with the reality and the gravity of your sin? What do you do? When you come face to face with the fact that you're human. When you come to grips with the fact that you know exactly who God is and you know exactly who you are, what do you do? What do you do with the reality and the gravity of your sin? And maybe this morning as I, as I speak that question out loud, what, what comes up, what rises in your heart 
It's like those police lights flashing in the rearview mirror. It's that past sin, something that maybe you struggled with a while back or something that happened in the distant past. And it's still hanging on because you don't know. What do you do with that? And maybe as I read that question, you're thinking the same thing, but it's about a present struggle, about a habitual sin or something you're in the middle of or a mess you're caught up in. And, and the reality is, is when you come before a holy God who is perfect in every way and you have to answer for what you've done and you think, you know, well, I've just made a lot of mistakes. Well, can we just stop and pause for a moment on that word? I've heard that all my life. And I think there's a problem with that whole sentence because let's be honest, a mistake, a mistake is something that you didn't mean to do, right? I mean, when I knock over a lamp and it breaks and, and it was an accident, that's a mistake. But if you're anything like me, the majority of my sin is not a mistake-filled life. They're choices I made. And they're choices that you make. They're deliberate actions that we chose to do. And it was wrong. And it hurt people. And it was against the heart of God. And this is the reality and the gravity that we have to come to. We have to own it. It wasn't a mistake. No, we, we did it on purpose. Let's not make any bones about it. It, it happened. And it was our initiative and it was our prerogative and it was our choice. We chose to do it and we did it. It wasn't a mistake. It was wrong. And what do you do? What do I do? What do we do when we come face to face with the reality and the gravity of our sin? How do we, how do we, how do we deal with that? You see, what we've talked about is how we carry the name and we've talked about where we carry the name. What happens when, when, you're, when you carry the name and then you fumble? <laughs> when you carry the name and you drop the ball, when how you carry the name isn't going so well, when you don't carry it very well. We haven't talked about that, but at some point we have to talk about it. What happens when you and I are trying to follow this man named Jesus and we trip or we make a choice? to go left instead of right. What do we do when we carry the ball and we drop it? I'll tell you what, in football, if you fumble the ball over and over again, guess what happens? It's game over, you lose. But Jesus, when he walked the planet, he taught us how to deal with this very question. And it's so revolutionary, it's so foundational, it's so fundamental, but it's so unbelievable. We've spent our entire lives and we'll spend the rest of our days trying to get our hearts and minds around it. I'm not sure if we'll ever fully come to grips with it, but I wanna, I wanna show you exactly what happens in the story in Luke 7 when, G, when Jesus is confronted with this question. And let me set the scene for you. And what I want you to do this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Luke 7. We'll track at the end of the chapter there or you can follow it on the screen. But what I want you to do this morning is I want you to step into the room with me this morning. Use your imaginations. If some of you need to close your eyes and don't go to sleep, but, but to use your imagination to go there, I want you to go there because I want you to step into the house of a man named Simon. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. And he's invited Jesus to come over to his house for a meal. And in the middle of this meal, a story unfolds, a conversation breaks out, something happens. And I want, you to, I want you to see and experience and feel and sense. I want you to, to try to be in the room and to see this morning exactly what unfolds as the story unfolds. 
In Luke 7, we read these words. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home to eat. And again, this is the home of a man named Simon. He is a Pharisee. We'll learn here in a few minutes. He's a religious leader. And here's what I love about the story of Jesus in the, in the Gospel of Luke. is Jesus is always eating with people. You'll always find him at a table. In fact, over seven times, Jesus is eating with people. Uh, on, on three of those occasions, it's, it's with people like Simon. It's with Pharisees. On the other four occasions, it's with people that are, that are categorized and labeled and called sinners. So what I take away from that is that Jesus loves everybody. And he'll eat with anybody. In fact, just a few verses earlier, he's condemned for eating with people not like Simon. And now he's eating with Simon. And he's having a meal at his house. But the story goes on in verse 37. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And she knelt down behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on on them. Now just go with me for a minute here. You know in those days when people walked the dusty roads of, of Jerusalem and Galilee that these roads weren't paved. They weren't made out of concrete. They were dusty, dirty roads and people didn't just walk these roads. Animals walked these roads and there was all kinds of debris on these roads and by the end of the day when you went in for a meal there's a reason you washed your feet, not your hands before you ate because your feet were literally disgusting. And you couldn't even stand the smell of it until you couldn't enjoy your meal until you washed your feet. Some of you have done this. You've been on mission trips to places and spaces around the world where you walk on dusty roads and you're wearing your, your sandals or your chacos or your flip flops. And you look at the end of the day and you think you've got a great tan and then you get a shower and you're like, it all just washed off. The dirt is just so much. These are the feet of Jesus. And the custom was when you came in for a meal that someone would wash your feet. Normally a servant in a home would do that. Simon did not give Jesus that courtesy. And this woman breaks in the room. And I want you to know, it would not have been uncommon for someone to walk into the room. In fact, in those days, the houses aren't like our houses. They would have been set up in such a way that if you're walking by a home and you see people having dinner, especially someone like Simon the Pharisee and then someone like Jesus, this rabbi who's been performing miracles, having a meal and having a conversation, it would not have been uncommon to, to walk into the room and to sit against the back wall and to listen to the conversation, to learn from it, to be present in that moment. That would have been welcome and that would have been fine. But this woman wasn't just any woman, was she? She was a woman, and she was an immoral woman, a sinful woman. Scripture doesn't tell us in this moment what her sin was, but you can imagine. You can let your imagination run wild. Everybody in the room knew this woman's sin. She walks into the room. And it says here, she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on his feet. The word for weeping there literally means to be raining. Like she is crying so hard that as her tears fall off of her face onto the feet of Jesus, the dirt is running off. And ladies, I don't know what this would be like to take down my hair and to use it to dry another man's feet. But in this moment... She is in complete humility, is she not? She has come face to face with the reality and the gravity of her sin. And she steps into this moment, into this room before the feet of Jesus, the one that some have called a Messiah, the one who has done works and miracles of God. And she is completely and utterly broken. 
When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he's thinking to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Simon thinks, I got him. He's a fraud. If he was who he said he was, he would know exactly who it is that has just busted in the room. You see, this is the most awkward moment for everybody at the table, except for Jesus. Simon is embarrassed and furious, but all of a sudden he's filled with excitement because he's thinking, I got him. He doesn't have a clue who this woman was. He's got to be a fraud. If he knew who she was, he would not let her be touching him. If this woman had come to wash Simon's feet, he would have kicked her off, and he probably should have, but she didn't. She fell at the feet of Jesus. She comes before him. And and here's the problem, is that in their day and time, there was this thought that those who obeyed God best loved God most, right? And so there were all these laws, the the law of Moses you had to keep. And if you kept God's law, then it kind of proved that you loved God most. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, these important people, they were known as people who kept God's law best. And so since they kept God's law best, they loved God most. And they would even take that further to say that if you kept God's law best, that meant you loved God most. That also meant that God loved you most. And then you have the people of here like this woman who were sinful, who were sinners, who were known for all that they had done wrong. And the assumption was that not only did they not love God, but they were not loved by God. And I would suggest this morning that not much has changed. Even in this room this morning, I, I, would, I would wager that there are those of us in this room who think, yeah, yeah, the, those who love God best are those who, who obey him the best. And the fact that I've royally screwed up my life means that I don't love him very well, and he doesn't love me either. If that's you, I want you to keep reading the story. Because it doesn't end there. It goes on. Verse 40. Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, I have something to say to you. And I love right here that Jesus answers his thoughts. (laughs) He knows what you're thinking. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. So Jesus told a story, all right? Awkward moment number two. Jesus should do something, not tell stories in this moment, but he tells a story. Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Hang on to that, we'll come back. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man? He goes around forgiving sins. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you see 
Do you see sinners as who they have been or who they can be transformed by the love of God? Do you see yourself as someone covered in sin and shame and guilt? Or do you see yourself fully known and fully loved by God? You see, here was Simon's mistake as he thought that there were two people at the table. He thought there was himself, Simon, the Pharisee, the righteous man, the holy man, a good man, loved by God, kept God's law well, and there was a sinful woman. And Jesus wants to come into the story and say, no, there's there's a different story going on here. You just don't get it. And, and, And you and I know what this is like because we understand the story too. If two people owe you money and you forgive both debts, who's gonna love you more? The one who owed you the larger debt. Forgiveness is, is always free to the one who receives it, but it costs the giver something. And so if, 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 if you owe me a hundred bucks and then he owes me $5 and I forgive both of you, that forgiveness is free, but it costs me something. And Jesus wants to say to Simon, hey, everybody at the table, everybody in the table is in debt. But our God is a God, and did you, did you catch the verse? Our God is a God who cancels debts. He kindly forgave both men and canceled their debts. This is where your mind should be blown. What does God do in the face of the reality and the gravity of your sin and my sin? He cancels debts. What does Jesus do in in the presence of, of your sin and your shame? He cancels debts. He says the words, you are forgiven. And it doesn't matter if you're more like Simon in the story and you feel like you have it all together or you're more like this woman in the story and you have nothing together. Jesus looks on everybody at the table and says, you know what? You have the same name. You have the same problem. You have the same sin. And my God, my father is a God who loves and forgives. That's the story. That's what God does with the reality and the gravity and the weight of your sin and my sin. He cancels debts. Paul later on would try to explain this in a different way because he saw the same thing. There were people who were trying to keep the law and get it all just perfect. And then there was everybody else who was trying to to come in and be a part of the church and, and, and they didn't get it. They didn't know how to make that work. And Paul would say these words into that moment. And I love, I love these words of Paul in Galatians 3. He would say this. He would say, you're all children, all of you. You all have the same name. You're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who've been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave, free, male, female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. You see, the problem for a lot of us is that we think there are differences. And Jesus says, no, you're all the same. You all have the same name, and that name is you're loved. That name is 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 one who is loved by God. That, that is who you are. You have the same exact name. There's not male, female. There's not Jew, Gentile. There's not different nationalities. There's not different languages or different people or different tribes. There's just one. And you're all the same at the foot of the cross. And the problem for you and for me is that it's not a moral problem. It's not an ethics problem. It's a gospel problem. Because Jesus didn't come from heaven to earth because you were bad and he wanted to make you better. He came from heaven to earth because you were dead and he came to give you life. And if we can ever get our mind around the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will literally change everything about us.
Your problem this morning isn't that you're bad and Christ wants you to get better. Your problem is that without Christ, you're dead and he wants to make you alive. And so this morning, what I want to ask you is when is the last time you've fallen at the feet of Jesus and you've wept over your sin? When's the last time you've come to the feet of Jesus and you've just had that honest moment where you got real about the missteps and the mishaps, the times when you didn't get it right? And you've fallen before his feet, just you. And you've cried out to God because you are trying to come to grips before a holy father of the reality and the gravity of the sin and the shame in your heart and your life. There's something powerful that happens in that moment. It's called forgiveness. And it's that moment when you and I, just like this, this woman in the story, can come before our Savior and experience the same grace and the same healing that we need. And today, if you don't take anything else away, man, this is what I would beg you to do, is to take some time to come before Jesus. And don't worry. (laughs) He's got you. And he already knows. But there's something powerful that happens when you and I become before the feet of Jesus and we just express our sorrow and regret over the sin in our hearts. And we let the power of the love of Jesus wash over us when he says your sins are forgiven. You don't have to lie. You don't have to hide. You don't have to be paralyzed with fear because our God is a God of forgiveness. And when you carry the name you carry and you drop the ball, the game is never over with Jesus. It's never over. Our God is a God who loves to forgive. We have the same name. It's the name that says we are loved by God. If you would stand with me. My son and I play this game in the yard sometimes. It's a game where I'll take a a ball, a baseball, a football, and I'll throw it up, right? And if he catches the ball, he gets a point. If he drops the ball, he loses a point. And the idea is he's got to get 10 points. Now, sometimes I have to call the game because we'll be out there for hours if (laughs) if it's it's one of those days where it's just not working. But every time I throw it, he tries to catch it, and he'll dive. And if he gets it, he gets a point. If he misses it, he goes back a point. And we're trying to get to 10, and it takes forever sometimes. And, And it's really a fun game to play in the yard. It's not a fun game to play in your life. And some of you guys play this game every day. You feel like some days you get it right and you get a point with God and other days you, you don't and you take two steps back. And life with God is not a roller coaster, right? It's a walk in the same direction with our Heavenly Father. This morning, what I would ask you to do is to join me on that walk, to join people in this room on that walk. Let's walk with our God because he has called us by name and he has loved us as we are, just as we are. And he wants us to walk with him. Let's sing.